Good morning, ladies. So glad to see your beautiful faces. Let me get set up here a little bit. Okay. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Leslie Madison, and I lead the campus ministry here in the Harlem Church of Christ. So I was born in Southern California, and I was raised in California and Oregon. And I moved to New York when I was 18 years old to attend Hofstra University and became a disciple in my senior year of college. I've been a disciple for seven years, and God has definitely taken me on an adventure. There's been a lot of faith-building, fun, memorable moments, but right now I'm going through not only the hardest time in my discipleship, but also the hardest time in my entire life. Um, Today, I want to share about overcoming heartbreak. Um, In the last three to four months, I've gone gone through two different kinds of heartbreaks. Um, One being that the guy I was dating for almost two years, who was exactly what I thought I prayed for, (laughs) broke up with me at the end of July, and we never saw or spoke to each other until about two weeks ago. Um, The second being that my mom suffers from an addiction that has gone from bad to worse in these last couple months. These past three months, she has gone in and out of the hospital, in and out of uh, rehabilitation programs, and has seriously endangered not only her life, but potentially others around her. I've been grieving these heartbreaks at the same time these past few months. After the breakup, I really lost trust in God. Um, And I doubted his love, his care, his consideration for my feelings and my desires. I felt like I couldn't trust him with my desires because I felt like I got so close to what I thought would lead to marriage just for it not to happen. I felt like he was more than happy to be willing to see other disciples' desires happen for them. But for me, it was different. I felt like God cared more about what I did in the ministry more than my life and my desires, and that my desires didn't matter to him. And then on top of that, my mom hasn't been doing well to the point that I don't even feel like I know her anymore. Almost every day I wonder if I'm going to get a phone call that my mom passed away. I struggle with the thought that I may not have a mom by the end of this year. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And if she dies, that I won't ever see her again in heaven. I just felt like the people I loved were leaving my life, and there was nothing I could do about it. I felt hopeless. I felt helpless. Um, I felt deep sadness. I even had two anxiety attacks, which felt horrible, and I felt so scared and alone in that. And I really had to allow myself to grieve and feel things, and obviously I still am. Um, And I had to accept the fact that I wasn't okay, and I'm still not okay. Um, I was in a place where I had misconstrued thoughts about God, even though mentally I knew it wasn't true, um, the thoughts that I had about God, and I actually felt bad about thinking those thoughts as someone who's supposed to be a minister. Um, Some days I don't want to go on campus or go to Bible talk or share my faith. Some days I just want to go to bed. I want to eat and watch Netflix and sleep, or sometimes just go cry and sleep, and that's it. Um, I hit all the reminders of my ex, 
that I saw everywhere I went and the phone calls I'd get from my mom while she was intoxicated. And all of this was torture. But in all of this, there were two things that helped me overcome initially during these heartbreaks that I have to go back to again and again. First is the scriptures. The Bible is the number one thing that is helping me overcome these heartbreaks. And this is how I resolved my misconstrued misconstrued thoughts about God and my desires that were untrue. I had to decide to hold on to the truth of what the scriptures say about God and not my feelings about God that were fueled by hurt. I was reading through this journal that I I, uh, wrote in right after the breakup for about a month. And I went from writing things like, I don't feel like I can trust God with my whole heart. Um, and God, you play favorites, to a heart of what Psalm 31 verse 9 says, but I trust in you, Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hands. Thanks to the scripture, as I am more able to trust God, still working on it, <laughs> with my future, no matter what direction it goes, and see his goodness in all of it. I now see God as benevolent, generous, kind, and favorably inclined towards me. God's love and and protection was and always will protect me. And like Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also give, give him graciously or give us graciously all things? Psalm 119 verse 50 and 52 says, My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. The Psalms really comforted me because it helped me to see that God understood the heartbreak I was going through, and he knew the right words to show me that he cares and to help me to feel understood. The scriptures really helped me to overcome my faithlessness and my emotions as well. It helped me to renew my mind, and I have to constantly go back to the scriptures when I have anxiety and hopelessness about my love life, my family, just everything in life. The scriptures made it less difficult and more bearable to deal with heartbreak. And the second thing that's really helped me overcome heartbreak is relationships. I'm so grateful for the many relationships I have in the kingdom with brothers and sisters. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. I really do have true brothers and sisters that I talk to often, and that has really helped me through these heartbreaks. The more I would talk to people and be honest and real about what I was feeling, the more God used them to comfort me. Talking helped me to get the support that I needed and helped me to feel less alone. I allowed people to be there for me. You know, I have sisters like Jeanette Foster who was the first one to come to my house the day of the breakup. She's like, where are you? I'm coming over. She came over in like 30 minutes. It was great. And she just came to listen and comfort me. And she's really helped me um, when it comes to dealing with the ups and downs of having a mother who's an alcoholic. Um, My sisters in the campus ministry brought me flowers, some of my favorite treats, and a card, and this origami box of butterflies. Butterflies really mean a lot to me. Like two days after the breakup just to cheer me up. Um... I have, you know, my cousin Gwen, Gwen Miller, or some of you know her as Malika Miller, um, who would video chat me all the way from Arkansas or wherever she is <laughs> and check up on me, and she would share her struggles. I would share mine, 
And also what she would share also what's helped her with her heart, her past heartbreaks that she's experienced in life. You know, I have brothers who pray for my mom and want to be updated on my mom's health and would just call me to just listen or pray or just whatever it is that I needed. I even had a sister tell me that she'd be willing to fly with me to California when my family was trying to do an intervention for my mom just so that I wouldn't be alone. And I have many relationships like that that not, I didn't even mention all of them. But um, I just, just through that, I just felt God's love through the kingdom and that experience. Another helpful relationship that I have is with my therapist, who's actually a disciple. Praise God. (laughs) The reason I started going is because I needed help processing everything that was going on with my family. Um, Not only recently, but just even going and thinking through my past and why why are things the way that they are. Um, That was one of the best decisions that I believe I made in 2019. Even the day the breakup happened, she let me come in that day free of charge just to cry and talk. And that was, that was so helpful, and to my bank account. All these relationships have made the heartbreaks a little less sorrowful. Prayer is needed first and foremost, but sometimes you need physical comfort too. God has really provided through disciples in my life, and I can see his love through my relationships. Psalm 34, verse 17 through 19 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. My struggles are not over. I'm still going through these heartbreaks and overcoming them day by day. But as Psalm 34 shows, I've only come this far because of God. When heartbreaks come, it leads you to a decision, victory or defeat. I decided to not accept defeat. Through prayer, reading and holding on to the scriptures, and investing in supportive spiritual relationships, God is giving me the victory. And I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. And thanks for letting me share. Good morning, ladies. Hope you're all doing well this morning. My name is Jeanette Foster, and I'll be sharing a spoken word piece inspired by today's theme, Us Being More Than Conquerors. What do you do with a woman who knows her worth, fearfully and wonderfully made evidence of God's work made from dust? So we rise from despair like roses in the dirt, divine beings who sing of freedom like caged birds. And when we're hurt, it is to mercy we give birth, overcoming bitterness with the peace of God's word. Yes, Eve ate the fruit, but we are not cursed, blessed with Christ's spirit to endure hell on this earth. As we set our minds on things from above, can anything separate us from Christ's love? No. In all things. Whether addiction or affliction, we are more than victims, stigmatized with pity, preyed upon with shame. We are more than our fears and our tears and our years of surviving pain. We have lost so much, but there is so much more to gain because we are more than conquerors through him who be the narrow gate, the life, the truth, the way, the author and perfecter of our faith, the giver of grace who gave his life for our sake and loves us as deep as our grave his 
is the love that finds us when we are sheep who go astray, arms wide open, no matter how much we walk away. His is the love that reminds us we are worth more than gold when our past makes us feel like we are damaged cargo. His is the love that refines us when we face tribulation, bloody women aching, but our faith in him brings alleviation. His is the love that won't stone us whether we're caught in adultery or guilty of sin, weeping at his feet. He sees past the skeletons in our closet and pulls out redemption like clean sheets. His is the love that draws us to him. We are Samaritan women full of shame and stress. We've been divorced and depressed, molested or in debt, but to him, our scars pose no threat. We give him our burdens and he gives us rest. He draws us living water so we would never thirst again. He draws us from the dams of desperation and gives his grace without expiration. He draws us into new creations. Our foundation, forgiveness, contort with repentance. We blush because in God's eyes we are more than our imperfections. So shall anything separate us from Christ's affection? No. We stare in the face of Armageddon and say, hey, nice to meet you again, ready to fight with God because Christ is our Savior and friend who gives us strength and confidence to slay the devil who prowls like a roaring lion. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. From beginning to end, we are women who move mountains and raise mighty children. The vision starts with us, but the victory ends with him. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Jacqueline um, Loyola. <laughs> That's my full name. Hopefully, people will call me by my full name, Jacqueline. Every time I say my name, they end up saying Jackie. So hopefully today, yes, they will, they will finally call me by my name, my full name. Um, I'm originally from Ecuador. Uh, I have two um, wonderfully uh, fearfully made children by God because they keep me on my toes. Um, I've been a disciple for many years, and today I'm going to share a little bit about my walk with God and um, what God has helped me overcome. In 1994, I became a disciple in the City College Ministry. I loved the fact that God chose me in 1994 to become a disciple. I felt like that was my purpose. I felt like I found what I had been missing for so long. I knew that too, um, in my life there was something else that I needed to be doing. I knew that there was something that um, God had set up for me. I always believed in God. I always believed that um, I was called to do something different. I'm going to share Jeremiah 29:11. God says that as you know, as you get older. Things happen, so I need my glasses. <laughs> Jeremiah 29:11. it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. I always believe that God has a plan for me, and I always believe that behind everything that happens, no matter how bad, no matter how heartbreaking it was, that there was a plan that God had for me. In 1994, when I became a uh, disciple, my brother became a disciple. My sister-in-law became a disciple. My beautiful sister, Clara, 
became a disciple. Um, and I knew that I had found what I was looking for. In 1995, I went into the ministry. Um, that was the best job I ever had. I felt like I made it. I felt like this is exactly what I was looking for. I went into the ministry. It was the most exciting time of my life. But in 1998, I came out of the ministry. Um, it became more about people. It became doing things because of people. It became doing things because I felt that it was I had to do things to perform. So God showed me that everything that I was doing, I was no longer doing it for him. So in 1998, I was out of the ministry. That was the hardest thing in my life. I thought that um, my goal, my dreams, everything was taken from me. I broke, I felt like um, a bird without a wing, because that's all I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be in the ministry. I wanted to study the Bible with people every day. I wanted to be in my life. So that's when I became very bitter, because I realized that I was no longer able to do what I wanted. I was bitter, I was angry, I was devastated, ashamed and embarrassed. Ashamed and embarrassed because I, my sin took me away from what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, be in the ministry. During this time in 1998, I walked around with shame. I was worried so much about what people would say about me, would think about me. For three years I preached, for three years I taught people. But then I felt like, what are they going to say about me when they see me, when I walk around? Like, what, what are they thinking about me? What's my sin that took me out? And I walk around broken. During this time, I met someone. I fell in love with this, with this man. It was what I thought I wanted. People, even though people did not want this relationship, I felt like I knew this guy. He, he loved God. He loved people. People liked him. He's what I wanted. So I kept with the friendship. Close friends told me, they did not feel good about the relationship. They did not feel good. They didn't think it was the best time. He wasn't ready. He was not ready to commit. He was not ready to um, have a relationship. But I, knew, I thought I knew better. During this time, I found out that he suffers from depression. He didn't know that. But I've worked in the field for so many years. Therefore, I knew what depression looked like. So there goes my mission. My mission was to help him. Help them understand depression, help them to understand that it's an illness, and help them to get help. That was my mission. Um, when he learned he had uh, depression, he decided to seek um, professional help. That was great. He was looking for help. He was going to therapy. And I developed feelings, feelings for him. I was in love with him. I thought he was in love with me. You know, we, we were best friends for eight years at this time. And I was becoming a little bit impatient about him not asking me to be his girlfriend. It has been eight years since I, we had built that friendship. And I felt like it was time for him to ask me to be his girlfriend. But it was taking him too long. So I decided, well, you know what? My best friend knows him. He's close to my friend. So I'm going you know, to ask her to tell him that you know, he needs to like, hurry up. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to move on. Well, she did that. She told him, you know, she likes you, but, you know, you're going to lose her if you don't make a move. So, so he decided to do that. You know, a couple of months later, he asked me to be his girlfriend, um, and eventually he asked me to marry him. When he asked me to marry him, I was very, very happy. 
you know, I thought that, wow, this is the man that I wanted. This is the man that um, God chose for me. I, I thought about that. But as things progressed, I, in my heart, I started feeling like, no, he's not the man that I wanted. He's not the man that God was, wants for me. My friends told me already that he, you know, he's not ready. He's mental illness. Um, he has a chemical um, background. He's, uh, he had been sober for eight years at that time. So, you know, he was dealing with his own issues. And he wasn't ready. But, um, but I thought I knew better. So I decided to, um, to marry him, you know, in spite of what people thought, in spite of the advice that I was given, in spite of my own feelings. Deep down inside, I knew that I should not be doing this. Deep down inside, I knew that there was something wrong. Um, all this time that we were together, he really never said that he loved me or that he liked me. He just proposed because, you know, I was his best friend. But I never heard him say that he loved me or that he, you know, really liked me in that way. But he was okay with me at that time. You know, I wanted to marry him. I wanted to be with him. He was my best friend. But when I started having the feelings that um, he was not the guy for me, um, it was kind of late because I had already um, told my family that I was getting married. I had told my friends that I was getting married. I was already planning my wedding. My best friend was planning my wedding. So at this time, I was too embarrassed and too ashamed to say that I did not want to marry this guy. Even though everything in me was telling me, you know, this is not what you should be doing. Um, I was ashamed and embarrassed to go back to my family and say, I, I don't want to marry him. I was ashamed and embarrassed to tell my friends, people in the church, that I didn't want to marry this man anymore because I felt deep down inside that there was something wrong. There was something wrong about this relationship. But I was embarrassed and too ashamed to do that. Proverbs 18, um, 12, it says, Pride comes before disaster, but humility comes before respect. Um, I decided to go ahead with the, with the wedding and... Um, it was a beautiful wedding. My best friend took care of everything. You know, my best friend, I didn't have to lift a finger. She did everything that I, I, I wanted to. But the day of the, when, the, when the wedding uh, finished, even though everything seemed great, um, the, when the um, wedding was over, when the party was over, instead of feeling overwhelmed with joy, I was overwhelmed with guilt. I was overwhelmed with shame. Because deep down inside, I knew that I should not marry this man. Deep down inside, I knew that there was a reason why God was telling me, this is not the man that God wants for you. But because I was embarrassed, because I was ashamed, because I was too prideful to say no, I'm stopping this wedding and I'm not going to marry this man, because of my pride, I decided to go with it. I became pregnant. Honeymoon. That was it. I got pregnant. I've had a beautiful, beautiful child. But during the pregnancy, it was a very horrible pregnancy. I was very sick all the time. I didn't sleep. Therefore, my husband then did not sleep either. He didn't sleep. He went days without sleeping. And this um, really didn't help his mental illness, um, which I didn't know how, how bad it was at that, po- at that point. When I gave birth to my child, the same day that I was let out of the hospital with my baby, I couldn't find him. I didn't know where he was. We didn't know where he was. We couldn't find him at all. So what I decided to do was I decided to leave my child with my mom the same day that I left the hospital. 
And I went looking for him. He was depressed. He had um, a nervous breakdown. And at that same day, that same night, actually, I had to take him to the hospital. I had to take him to be hospitalized because he was no longer functional. He was too overwhelmed and too depressed to do anything. That was like the hardest thing to do, to take him to the hospital and have him committed. I had, him, I had to do that because otherwise he wouldn't, he wouldn't, do, he wouldn't work on his uh, mental illness. When he uh, was hospitalized, I had to go see him in the hospital every day. And he was committed. If you've ever been to a psych ward, it's very depressing. It's very depressing to see the people that you love in there because they totally, there's a total transformation. They are medicated, so therefore they have no idea what they're doing or they're not the same person. So it was very hard to see him for three months. Every day I'll see him, he was different, he, will gain, he gained so much weight. He wanted to leave every day I, I went to see him. He wanted to leave so bad that he would cry. And I would go home and I'd cry because I felt like I did not make the right decision to put him in the sideboard. The doctor said that he'll have to be there for like at least a year. But I was thinking I cannot deal with a year with him being in there. So five months, I decided to go to the hospital and I told uh, the doctors, I'm taking my husband home. This is too much for him and I'm taking him home. Well, I decided to do that. When he got home, he did well for a little while. He had some medication on. He did. He was stabilized. But after that, he decided that he was better. So he stopped taking his medication. He decided that he can do well without it. So again, he became depressed. He became anxious. So at that point, I had gotten pregnant again, and I had another baby. So I had two babies. I had one that was a year, like seven months, nine months, and the other one was, uh, they're like 14 months apart, so they're like really, really young. When he, um, when, he, when he was sick, I decided to call the police on him because he did not accept the fact that he was depressed. He did not accept the fact that he needed help. So therefore, I had to um, call the police and have him committed. There was no other way for him to do that. Um, when he, this second time that he was committed, um, the doctors say he is not homicidal, he is not suicidal, he cannot stay in the hospital, they let him go. He came back home. At this time, it was so hard to deal with him because he had started having hallucinations. He started seeing things that were not there. He started laughing at times that it was the most inappropriate times. I got scared. I got really scared to, um, to find myself with someone that was hallucinating, and I had no idea what to do. I called his brother and I said, well, you know what, I cannot deal with two little kids and my husband who's sick. You need to help me. He needs to go to Mexico. So he decided to go to Mexico. And we pushed him, we pushed him, and he went to Mexico. At this time, I had two babies. He went to Mexico. I didn't have a job because, you know, I had to give birth. And I, I was by myself. He decided to, um, to go and stay there. And at this point, I felt ashamed again. I felt embarrassed because I had made a decision to marry this man, even though I knew that he had mental health issues. I was ashamed because I knew that I put myself in the situation, and there was nobody else to blame. I asked God, why? Why did it happen? I did it the right way. I married through the church. Why am I going through this? Why am I going through this hardship? But I knew at that time that 
all the decisions to marry was my decision. I decided to marry this man. I knew he had mental illness. I knew that this decision was mine, and I had nobody else to blame but me. But I still questioned God. Why? Why did this happen? God, he had a plan for me. Was this the plan? But then I remember that this probably was not the plan that he had for me. This probably was not the plan that he intended for me. So I became more ashamed because I felt like I missed out on God's plan. I missed out of maybe marrying someone that was different, maybe someone that, was not, that did not have mental illness, and my life would have been different. So I started feeling bad because I missed out on God's plan. He went to Mexico, and he stayed in Mexico for, Mexico for three years. At this point, I had no job. I had a, an apartment to, to pay for. I had no family members that I could count on, not because they weren't there, but because I was not open with them with what was going on in my life. I didn't have friendships in the, in, in the church, not because I couldn't, but because I didn't share what was going on with my life. I was too embarrassed and too ashamed to tell him what I was going through because they knew that he was not the man that, that I should marry. So I did not tell him anything. I told a few people some basic things, but not everything that was going on in my life. So I didn't have any relationships. So little by little, I decided that, you know what, if this is not time for me to be in the church that people do not care about me. So I left. I decided to little by little leave. But during this time, he, uh, my husband came back, and I decided to take him back in. It was his mental illness, therefore it was okay. So I decided to take him in. By this time, he, was, he had gotten better, but again, he decided to stop taking his medication. But this time was worse because he became violent. He started having psychotic episodes. So he became violent, and he, um, he was totally not the man that I wanted to be with. I got scared and ashamed, and I decided to leave my home because it was not a safe environment for me to be in. And at this point, I decided to leave and not um, be part of the church anymore. But later on, when I um, had my children, when they grew up, when they started growing up, and I started seeing how he, they loved me unconditionally, how when all this time that I was going through, they still loved me, they still took care of me, they still were with me, I realized that that's exactly how God loves me. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, God said that there's um, a way that he loves me all these years. God says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily anger, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Through my children, God showed me that this is exactly how God loves me. And um, there's nobody else that can love me this way. God loves me unconditionally, even though I messed up. God treats me with unconditional love, even though I decided to do it my way. God treats me and protects me all the time, even though I decide to do things my way. My children... My children show me how God loves me. Because no matter what I do, they still love me. No matter what I say, they still come to me and they still take care of me. No matter what, how upset I get, no matter how 
impatient I get. They still love me and they still want to be with me. That's exactly how I feel, my God. I feel like no matter what I do, no matter what I said, no matter how prideful I got and I decided to live in my way, he always loved me and protected me. You know, I've never seen me different. And through that, I'm so grateful that I decided to come back. I decided to come back to the church to build new friendships, new relationships, and not walk around being ashamed of who I was, what I did, and not become... Now I become a broken person because that's not who I am with God. God heals me every day and protects me every day, and that's who my children have showed me that God is because he blessed me with two children. And that showed me who God is. And I'm so grateful that I was able to overcome and become powerful in God and overcome shame and embarrassment because he loves me and he sees me a new creation every day. Thank you so much. Good morning, ladies. If God is for us, then who is against us? My name is Karen Allen. I've been a Christian for 29 years as of tomorrow. I'm originally from Chicago, raised in a family that prayed and knew God a lot, especially my grandmother. Right now, I'm retired. I've worked in fashion in the fashion industry for several years. I've worked as an educator, and I taught fashion after school. Today, I want to share about how overcoming cancer, which created a lot of doubt in my life, but it changed my life. I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor. I have experienced a couple of other situations in my immediate family where my father died of cancer, my mother, and my daughter. My, my, she would have been about 35 by now. I was in the military when my daughter was diagnosed with stage four cancer. This was the darkest time of my life. I had to relocate to a special base where they helped you with any type of medical situation that you may have been in. I had to trust the military and ask for help from anyone that would help us. I believed in God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. And I wasn't a Christian. I would just visit church. The moment I found out about my daughter, I thought I was being punished by God. I was very angry and very bitter. The first thing I thought was I'm going to call my grandmother. She knew how to pray and give me some spiritual truths of the Bible. This is how I got through these circumstances. There were a couple of scriptures that I learned from her I kept in mind. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. And Hebrews 11, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. After arriving at Tex- in Texas, The doctors explained to me this treatment was new and it wasn't guaranteed that my daughter might live two years. I told them, I don't want to hear that. I also was told it might help someone else. I remember saying, I don't want to hear about healing no one else. Just help her. My anger grew. I was in San Antonio where I didn't have any family. I didn't know anybody but my immediate family, my son and my ex-husband, 
at that time. But I didn't want to hear about no Bible. I didn't want to read no Bible. I didn't want to pray. Well, my daughter had intense chemotherapy there and radiation. She was even the first to have an oncologist bone marrow transplant, the first child. The Army provided us with everything we needed. I just knew this would save her life. They tried everything. The treatment worked for over a little, little over a year, and it saddened me to say on November 20th, 1988, she died. It was horrible. I was brokenhearted, humbled by the tragedy, and hopeless. I was in a very dark place. I moved on with my life because I had a son who was about 11. I left the regular army and planned to go into reserve. At this time, I had to have a physical, and when I went to the doctor, a lump was found in my breast. They said it was a cyst, but later we found out it was cancer, and I said, here we go again. I had a lumpectomy along with chemotherapy, still holding on to the few scriptures I knew. I prayed through each treatment. I finished my treatment in uh, February of 1990. I moved back home to Chicago. Later, I moved to New York. I came to Manhattan to the VA to see a specialist in the field of oncology to help me out with my, with my follow-up care. I also dreamed of becoming a designer, so I wanted to get some info about FIT. You see, I didn't believe in God anymore because I was too angry, but I believe God had a plan for me. It sounds crazy, but I believe I was losing my mind. <laughs> so I was met right after registration by some disciples, three women I didn't know, and I'll never forget. I was invited to a Bible talk. There we designed T-shirts. And I painted Jesus is Lord on my shirt. Now, y'all know I learned this from my grandma. <laughs> Later, when I was asked to study the Bible, I said yes with a quickness. I wanted to notice Jesus who took my child away. That's exactly what I told them. No one said anything. They just looked at me. They didn't look at me strangely. They said, here's an invitation to church. And when Sunday morning came, I started changing my mind. I decided not to go. However, I reached for my homework notebook, and the invite fell out on the floor. <laughs> I changed my mind real quick and got ready for church. <laughs> the women I met were awesome. I studied the Bible, and it helped me so much, especially studying the cross. I felt like I could understand God because he... His son died for me. It hurt me. It hurt my soul to even read that. I continued to study and learn and understood the Bible that God loved me enough that he allowed me to become a Christian. I was baptized November 18, 1990. I started learning more truths about the Bible. 1 Corinthians stuck to me all the time. 1 Corinthians 1:18. For the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, with those who are, who are being saved, it is the power of God. God's power helped me to repent. I also learned after baptism, I didn't notice the difference in the mirror right away. 
Some behavior did not change overnight. My struggles did not disappear instantly. I realized that I'm a quiet, gradual work of transformations. This is because God sees the end in the beginning. You see, cancer stayed away from my body for 29 years. On November 21st, 2017, my cancer returned. This time stronger than before. My life is different now, but I learned how to pray, and I have many sisters here that pray for me, that pray with me, and this time I had to have a mastectomy. I've allowed scriptures to help me to be faithful and obedient. Sorry. But Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone. See, I was the type of soldier, I listened, but I ain't really listened. You know, I was kind of like Private Benjamin. I listened, did what they said, and I ain't really listened. And it was the same thing when I got here to the VA. I had so many instructions, had to go to school, came to church, and I could hear them, but I was still kind of losing my mind. But as I prayed and I listened and I became obedient to the scriptures, this is what changed my life. Every morning, I have a sister that prays with me. I have a mentor that disciples me. I even have a sister that will give me a ride if I need one. She'd be like, good morning. What are you doing today? I'm not going to say their name, but I even have one that corrects me when I send out the wrong message. They know exactly who they are, but I love each and every one of them. But to top it off, this time when I went through chemotherapy, I even had my own nurse. If I came to the clinic without her, they was looking around like, where's your nurse at? Is she here today? Roseanne, I love you to death because I wouldn't have made it without her. See, the, the Army and the VA knows his people who are a little touched, a little different. You know, I had amazing counselors, amazing doctors who helped me along the way. I even had sisters from back in the day that taught me how to love again. Because after my daughter died, I didn't want nobody hugging me, touching me, nothing. Even when I became a disciple, I still had transformations, things to go through. I hear my room, my old roommate back there. She knows me better than anybody. But if it wasn't for these sisters in here in this church and I didn't study the Bible, I don't know where I'd be. I know for a fact I was losing my mind. I do know that. I love God, and I'm not easily angered anymore. I'm not faithless. I was able to birth another daughter and adopt two. I also had an opportunity to help another parent. I remember back when I said, I don't want to help nobody else. Her son had the same exact disease. She had the same problems. And I was right here to help her through it. I changed so much. I've been able to help other women. And thank God I'm still here and growing. I am Karen Allen. God is for me. And who can be against me? Wow. That was amazing. Thank you so much.
You know, it's so amazing how we get to hear from um, such inspiring women. And I love how we all have a story, right? And I love how God works in all of our lives. And so it's so um, good to hear that. My name is Hannah Aguaya. Um, my husband and I have been serving in the ministry for six years now. And we moved to Harlem this year in July. Yes. Yeah, it's been great living in Harlem. We really love it. And um, we're working with the youth and family ministry here, and we're so grateful to be here. Uh, We have two precious precious little boys, Lucas, who's three, and Levi, who's now one years old. Uh, My husband and I have been married for six years now, um, and we've known each other since we were actually teenagers. I was born and raised in Queens, New York, (laughs) my one person out there my mom is from Korea and my dad was from Argentina so I was brought up with a lot of culture and traditions for being first generation American then on top of it I married a Nigerian and Ecuadorian man so my life is really full and my children are mixed with everything (laughs) But today I wanted to share about overcoming sin through Jesus Christ. My parents became Christians when I was around five years old. So I grew up going to church, learning about God. Growing up going to church and living in a Christian household, you quickly learn what's good and what's bad, and what's right and what's wrong. When I was a teenager, I took my relationship with God more seriously. I wanted to really know who God was for myself and not just go to church because my mom said so. So I studied the Bible, I learned about God, and I really learned a lot about myself. Learning about myself was not easy, though. No one likes to share their most deepest, darkest secrets or their bad thoughts, and I certainly did not want to see the bad things about me especially because of my pride. As a teenager, I thought I knew it all. I thought I knew what I was doing, the choices I was making, and I was, I was pretty much good, so I figured it all out. I thought, I'm good. I'm a good girl. I get good grades. I go to church. You know, I'm smart. I help people. You know, I serve. I serve my mom at home and help her around the house. I wasn't crazy out there like my like friends around me. I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't getting drunk or high. So I thought, I'm a good person. When I learned about sin and what sin really was and what God considered sin, my heart was exposed. Although everything looked good on the outside, I had a lot of junk going on in my heart. I criticized people, I compared myself to them, and felt that I was better. While I may not have been doing these outward sins that I knew were wrong or that I looked down upon, I learned that my attitudes were not like Jesus, but rather opposite of how Jesus thought. I saw that I was arrogant, selfish, ungrateful, bitter and angry, unforgiving and envious, and a coward 
I was driven by fear. This is my sinful nature. And sins of the heart are just as serious to God as sins in our actions. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No sin is greater and no sin is less. All sin is viewed the same through God's perspective. So when I really saw myself and my sin and that my pride is what put Jesus on the cross, I was broken. Because of my sin, I really deserve death. Like it says in Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God's given me a gift. He's given me Jesus. He gave me a way out. So I decided I want to live my life following Jesus. I want to make him Lord of my life. And I got baptized on May 20, 2007. I was 16 years old, and at that time, I felt like this was one of the hardest decisions to make. But it seriously was the best decision of my life. Through Jesus, I was able to be set free from sin. Only through Jesus, we can overcome sin in our lives. Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, overcoming death. God raised Jesus back to life for me, for you, for all of us. In 1 Corinthians 15:55, it says, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, I was able to overcome my pride and truly be set free. This doesn't mean that my pride has disappeared now. I wish it would just go away. I wish all my sin would, right? But I still have to deal with it, and it keeps me humble. It keeps me wanting to be close to God. So I still struggle with proud and arrogant thoughts and temptations, but the difference now is that I have Jesus, And he gives me the power to resist those temptations so that I can have victory. I'm now not a slave to my sinful nature, but I have the ability to change. I can recognize when I'm being proud or if someone chooses to tell me, and then I can choose to be humble. My pride has taken on a different look, though, now than it did when I was younger. I've learned that pride comes in many shapes, sizes, colors, you know, all of that. And what I've also learned, how scary it is, because pride actually separates more people in the Bible than any other sin. And the way I've seen my pride manifest is being insecure and a perfectionist, where I don't want to make any mistakes. I get afraid to take risks or leaps of faith because I'm afraid it may lead to embarrassment if it fails, or if it may lead me to being corrected, or show a weakness or a flaw that I have. It has led me to make decisions based on fear and not faith. And knowing this about myself has not been easy, but it's something that I have to keep growing in 
to be more like Jesus. Even when putting this message together, I was so stuck. I maybe restarted to write like three times. I was overthinking what people would think, how people would view me, if I would share too much or say the wrong thing. And then I had to stop myself and say, this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. So I got open and I got help from my husband, spiritual women around me, and I asked for prayers. You know, getting open is not easy. No one likes to share things that may look weak. But that's not the way God sees it. When we confess, we have power because of Christ. We have power because of God. We don't have to have a hold on us anymore because of it. We can really let it go. You know, and I can use prayer and scriptures to really change my thinking in that way. To overcome my pride rather than to give into it. And over the years, I have been able to grow in my humility because of God and his help. Because that truly is the attitude of Jesus and who he is. And just as Jesus did not have, just as death did not have a hold on Jesus, pride no longer has a hold on me. And through Jesus, we women can overcome our sin. Sin does not have to have a hold on us anymore. We can be more than conquerors with Jesus interceding for us. I am not perfect. I will make mistakes. That's okay. I have to tell myself that. But I can't let that stop me from also doing what God wants me to do. And the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, really helps me to change my thinking. It says, from, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, whenever I have insecure thoughts, or I start to view myself in a negative way, I start to put myself down, I have to remember that Jesus died for me, that the old has gone and the new is here. That God no longer sees my sin attached to my name anymore. No matter how big the sin is, no matter how small I may think the sin is, my sin is gone from God's God's eyes. So even when I mess up, I am cleansed because of Jesus' blood and sacrifice. Jesus became sin. He took on all my sin for me, for me to have a chance to know him. Not even for a sure thought that I would choose him one day or become his disciple. 
but just for that opportunity, for that maybe she will. Maybe she'll get to know me and that I might choose him. Just for a chance. That's what he died for. And I have Jesus with me now. And what I've needed to see is that I cannot earn his love. I cannot earn God's mercy by the good things that I do. God values me and sees me not because of all the good things I did or do now as a disciple, but because he saw me at my worst. God saw me and he still sent Jesus to die for me. In my sin, in my pride, he saw me. And he said, she's worth dying for. That's what the cross means to me. That despite my failures and my sin, Jesus allows me to be more than a conqueror every single day. That through Jesus Christ, I am set free and no longer enslaved to my sin. I have to remind myself of that. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I can say no. I'm able to overcome sin through confession, through repentance, prayer, guidance. But most of all, because Jesus, was, Jesus died and was raised to life. Death did not have a hold on Jesus, ladies. And sin does not have a hold on us. As we reflect on Jesus this morning when we're taking communion, let us remember that no sin is too great for God. No sin can separate us from God's love, from his mercy. Nothing in our past can separate us from God's love. Nothing going on right now can separate us from his love. And God forgives all sin. And Jesus paid the price for it, for once and for all. So let us not waste what God has done. Let us be grateful and be reminded that we are worth so much to God. We are worth his son. And through Jesus overcoming death, we have the chance to be more than conquerors and live a new life for him. Let us bow our heads to pray. Dear God, thank you so much for being our God. Thank you for being a God who's abounding in love, mercy, forgiveness. And the way that you view us is not like the way we view ourselves, but the way you see us is like Jesus, as your daughters. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us and for allowing us to have his blood wash away our sin, God. Let us never take what he did for granted. I pray that we can remember who we are before you, God. I, remember, I, I pray that we can see our sin, God. I pray that though it won't let us hold on to us or stop us from choosing you or loving you or even knowing that we can change that we can be different and not be defined by our sin or be held onto it anymore because of who you are, because of what you've done. Not because of how good we are, but because of how good you are. 
and how you really have taken away all of that and don't want us to go through those things because of how much you love us, God. Thank you for protecting us, for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for for really being our Father and just remembering that you want us and you want us to be close to you. We love you so much. Thank you for Jesus and his body that represents the bread and his blood that was spilled that represents the Jews, God. I pray that we can remember him and be truly grateful for what he's done for us. We love you so much. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.